Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is just beginning to wonder how much a cab from Bournemouth to Croydon for Eddie Howe may cost. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, currently the UK's most vigorous fan of VAR. Indeed I am. What a great invention it is, uh, Kevin. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was watching it yesterday and said that, 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 that money that was put into the technology, well worth every penny. Uh, but if it goes against us next week, I will, of course, reverse my opinion. Absolutely, like any true football fan. It's, it's questions day, Kieran, and some of our questions can only be described as antsy. I think antsy is the right <laughs> word. Uh, possibly reflecting the mood of the nation, I guess. But first, a couple of news stories. And, Kieran, I honestly... Don't know what tone of voice to adopt for this first one, but Steve Dalesbury have gone into administration. Yes, Steve Dalesbury, and, and I think we, we need to say that this is Steve Dalesbury because I don't think it represents the views of, of the fans of either faction uh, involved with the club or involved with the, involved with the town. Um, has gone into formal administration, appointing Stephen Wiseglass as the administrator. Now, Stephen Wiseglass was the individual who, uh, about a year ago, um, was responsible for Berry's creditors' voluntary arrangement, which is sort of a scenario where a, a company agrees to pay off its creditors. Uh, a certain amount over a certain period of time. Mm. The problem with this is that Steve Dalesbury didn't pay a penny to anybody, so the the creditors' voluntary arrangement collapsed. Um, and, and the the benefit of a CVA is it sort of puts you into a protective bubble. It reduces the opportunity for somebody to to wind up a a, a company. Um, but that lapsed when they failed to make any payments. So there was potential uh, p- potential winding up orders arising. Um, and then on Friday, I think to, to everybody's surprise, the club has gone into administration. Now, the purpose of administration, again, it gives protection from unsecured creditors winding up a business. Yeah. Steve Dale knows the insolvency system. He, he plays the system like a piano. So the, the merits of this, we will have to wait and see. Um, if anybody Googles Stephen Wiseglass, who is now the administrator, um, he's, he's had a couple of uh, issues himself to have to deal with in terms of his governing body, who have twice censured him. Um, and as you know, it's like, Kevin, you know, off air, we have discussions about comedians and some of the things that they get up to which don't reflect well on the industry and i've explained to you you know some of the accounting things but but no but you don't 
you don't dip in your own, do you? You know, it's sort of a sort of it's sort of, it's sort of the omerta of whatever profession you happen to operate in. So for an accountant to be censured twice by their own organisation, I think is indicative of perhaps not being the world's greatest uh, at uh, at their particular element of the profession. And now he is the administrator. Now, the, the accusations which are being made, which, of course, are unfounded and there is no evidence, is that he's effectively doing the bidding of Steve Dale. Um, I think the main thing to take from this is that Steve Dale will uh, lose control over Berry Football Club. Um, and that has upsides and downsides. I think the downside is that we'll no longer be able to see his his random thoughts on the club website when he decides to put out uh, statements. But uh, you know, it, I'm going to hope that Steve, Stephen Wiseglass does whatever is best for the assets of the club. In theory, um, you know, he could now try to sell the assets of the club to, to raise money, um, and this could preserve Gig Lane. But how it's going to be paid for, how much it's going to be paid for, and what's going to happen to the mortgage over the ground, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, two things there, Kieran. For any worried comedians listening to this now, I should point out that uh, it's strictly no names. <laughs> I might occasionally tell Kieran some stories, but yeah, I, I, I don't throw the real name. <laughs> I'm doing that, uh, pulling his shirt away from the neck emoji thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing, Kieran, um, Kieran, yeah, I, I don't feel Kiri. Um, Only the Baroness calls me that. Really, does she? Kiri but, but, but we are practically married these days, Kevin, so we're not yeah, that fair, far away. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperate trying to think of some Kiri Takanawa puns, but I can't. Um, much as I wish no good on Steve Dale, are there jobs that are now put under threat by this? At Berry, was he still employing people, or was Berry FC still a kind of notional business rather than an actual one? As far as I'm aware, when it ceased to be a member of the EFL, all of the staff lost their jobs. I mean, we we do have these sort of tragic but also romantic stories of the groundsman still going in to tend the pitch because of his love and affection for the club, and and that that is distressing and and wonderful at the same time. Um, I I can't see the club would be employing people because it, it, it wasn't paying the wages when it was in the EFL very often. So I, I can't see how it would be paying the wages now. Yeah, I, I just had this image of some ultra-loyal Alan Partridge-type secretary still administering to his every will. And I, I didn't want to see him or her laid off, basically. His his version of Smithers. I didn't want to see him get sacked. <laughs> um, as we predicted, Kieran, some fans will be allowed into games when lockdown ends, with as many as 4,000 being let back into grounds in Tier 1, although there is one... One teensy problem with that, Kieran, isn't there? Just, yeah, one teensy problem, as you say, Kevin. Uh, tier 1 applies to the Isle of Wight, the Isle of Scilly and Cornwall, um, and uh, none of which are gracing the Premier League at present, none of which are gracing the EFL at present. So um, it's, uh, yeah, when, when is 4,000 not 4,000? Uh, it's, it's, it's in 2020. So I do think it was a little bit disingenuous of the government to, to say we're going to allow people in. I guess what it could be is... Uh, is is a carrot to yeah. say to people, you know, let, let's let's you know really apply ourselves to lockdown, and it could be that some parts of the country might be dropped down into tier one, and if that is the case, it will allow an increase in the number of fans attending. We, we've also seen 
some managers complain uh, when their clubs are in tier three. I, I know yeah. that Bielsa at Leeds. Um, and, and he said that it gives those clubs that are in tier two uh, a bit of an advantage. And um, I, I think he, he, he does have a point. It gives them, I suspect, a very tiny advantage. If you've got 2,000 people dotted around a 30 or 40,000 capacity stadium, they're not going to be making a huge amount of noise. Um, and half the time they're moaning and abusing the players, if they're anything like my experience of going to matches. So, uh, yes, it, it's it's not right in an ideal world, but we're not operating in an ideal world. And those clubs that are in Tier 2, I think what they're trying to do is to demonstrate to the government, look, here we we are willing to, to put on matches. Um, we're, we're not going to be making very much money out of this but there's if we, if we can show that there's no impact on infection rates in, in those in those localities then perhaps the government might say okay next tier two will be allowed uh five thousand or or ten thousand so it, it is a case of using what the rule the, the present rules um as, as a means of persuading the government to increase attendances everywhere now i, I was talking to uh, a couple of clubs during the week and i said yeah, come on so come on you know how, how long have you known about this and they said we we were absolutely knocked out you know nobody had any idea when the government made the announcement on monday completely unexpected <laughs> yeah, that the complete unexpectedness is not unexpected either, is it? Unfortunately, because um, there were a lot of rumours washing around football that the FA Cup third round might be the the target date. The the tier thing, I mean, Bielsa, I understand what he's saying, but it's a little bit like VAR; it upsets us when it suits us. And if Leeds were in tier two, he wouldn't have said a word, basically. And I suspect that when this meaningful review comes on the sixteenth of December, meaningful, I'm told by politician friends, means that. The Prime Minister probably will reduce a lot of areas from Tier 3 to Tier 2 and everyone will go, whoa, he's lovely, he's a living saint. It, it, it wasn't just disingenuous, Kieran. This idea that 4,000 fans could be allowed back in was just either deliberately misleading or showed a willful lack of information about football because somebody must have known that the three areas you mentioned, Cornwall, the Silly Isles and the Isle of Wight, I believe don't have a stadium between them that holds as many as 4,000 people. So that was a, if that was meant to be a carrot, that was a meaningless carrot. Steve Parrish writing in the, in the Sunday times uh, yesterday. Um, I don't know when he wrote in it, but it was in yesterday, Sunday times. He reckons that having 2000 in it to sell us part would just about break even on match day finances. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Again, I've, I've been sort of doing some sums, uh, having a bit of spreadsheet heaven, of course. Uh, crunching the numbers, as you can imagine, uh, especially as I'm still uh, I'm still in uh, self quarantine uh, for 14 days. So it's, it's day 11 and I am crawling the walls at present. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I reckon dep- depending upon the club, I think if you're a if you're a League One or League Two club, you're probably breaking even on uh, probably about a thousand to eleven hundred mm. championship clubs, Premier League clubs, perhaps fourteen hundred to fifteen hundred. So they they will be making a wee bit uh, of a contribution, which has has got to be a, you know a, anything that that is generating a positive cash yeah. uh, ca- cash return has to be uh, welcomed. Uh, and let's just hope this is the first step of many towards the return of 
crowds to matches, not not just at football, but but at all sport of all forms of entertainment. I've got friends who are publicans. You've got friends who run theatres. You know, lot, every, everybody that's working in the service sector uh, is taking a hammering. Uh, I, I live pretty close to Gatwick, uh, being in Sussex, and, and the the impact that it's having yeah. on, on the surrounding area has been appalling. Yeah, of course. Can I just check that you are self-isolated? It's not another restraining order, is it? <laughs> no, the, the, the tag the tags no oh, longer okay. applied. Okay. Um, so questions, Kieran, and as I say, a slightly antsy tone to some of them. I think you'll be able to spot them when they appear. Steve Dale may be interested in this first one. Uh, Tim in Bangkok. Uh, I shall leave him. I'm leaving a brief but anxious pause there as Kieran digests the word Bangkok. Um, Tim in Bangkok asked, again, it's one of those simple questions that I probably should have asked you a year ago, but Tim says, when you refer to the administrators and their fees, are you talking about an individual or a team? Because when you quote £600 an hour, that's obviously a lot for a single administrator, but it's covering a team of 10, that's £60 an hour, which is an emergency plumber, says Tim, although as Tim also says, the plumber wouldn't be there as long as the administrator, but you know what he means. So that, that's a good point. So when when, we, when you say administrator, you, you presumably mean a, a law company that has nominated one person or two people or three people to take this job on. Yeah, the, the the way that it works, I mean, those figures are actually per person. Oh, they what are? The figures oh, that I've quoted. Um, so if, if we take a look at the administration of Bolton, the average hourly rate is £280 per hour. So that varies from £150, million, sorry, £150 per hour for a junior cashier, who I suspect is on close to minimum wage or not far from it, um, to up to £660 in the case of Wigan for a partner if they get this very strange one-third uplift, um, i.e. if they have a successful sale, I think their their normal fees are about £495 an hour, but that gets increased by a third if, if the club is sold successfully. Um, so it, it, they are eye-wateringly expensive. Uh, you know, the Wigan administrators' fees, I think they're estimated to be around about £1.3 million, pounds, and, that, and that's assuming that the sale goes through successfully. And, and we do appear to have hit a few few bumps in the road yeah. at present, which, which, are, which are concerning because Wigan are now uh, – they're at the bottom of League One. Yeah. Uh, they, they've had uh, – they've lost practically – the, the whole first team squad that was saleable. So it's a combination of they've got Bosman's, freebies, academy players and so on. Our next question comes from Dan Embleton. Uh, this is very much, Kieran, on the ANSI list. Uh, I'm going to try and read it in a, in a medium tone of voice. <laughs> just so that um, Dan Embleton says, when I watched my team Sunderland beat Oxford away on a stream with one camera and no commentary for £10, who got that money? Uh, he says, my account is through the Sunderland website, but if the game had had supporters in attendance, presumably Oxford would have received the gate receipt. So where, where says Dan, is the £10 that he paid for one camera and no commentary, although they did win? So where does that money go? Right. Well, first of all, 20% of that goes in VAT. Uh, so I, I think the, the, the EFL are, are, are right in talking to the government to try and to get VAT to reduce to £5 during the pandemic, given that they can't have fans, I guess. Yeah. Um, 30% goes in fees back to the people who are arranging the broadcast. And then um, I've, I've looked at the, the figures that have come out from Tranmere and Colchester, and they've said uh, the home team 
Uh, because the, the both the home team and the away team sell the I follow passes, the home team keep all of the money from the home fans, and I think they get the first five hundred of the the away fans. So uh, at Oxford. Uh, Oxford would get the money from the first 500 passes sold by Sunderland, and then Sunderland would get the excess. Now, if Sunderland sell 2,000 and a club with you know, the support like Sunderland are likely to do so, it could be that, that Sunderland end up with more money than, uh, than, than Oxford itself. But that figure of 500, um, I've also seen comments that what they try to do is to is to estimate the number of away fans and say, well, if we expected a thousand Sunderland fans to turn up, then Oxford would keep the first thousand, and Sunderland would get the excess. So it all seems to be a little bit vague, but um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of money is leaking out in in terms of both VAT and the broadcasters' fees. So anybody who's thinking that I follow is a solution to the non attendance by fans themselves unfortunately that is not the case um i i estimate that clubs will make no more than 10 to 15% right. of the money they'd normally expect to get through uh, match day ticket sales well we're going to be hearing a little bit more about i follow later on because it's definitely something that's getting under fans' collars by the sound of it. Um, I didn't want to... We had several questions on broadcasting rights this week, but I wanted to sort of split them up a little bit rather than have one great big long chunk. Uh, and also, I particularly wanted to throw Quentin Soldan's question in at this stage, also ANSI. Um, and Quentin says, and it starts with a statement, basically, and I, I, I'm going to do this in a bloke in the pub voice, Kieran, as I think this question deserves a bloke in the pub voice. Quentin says, didn't Spurs go cap in hand to the government for several million pounds recently? And now they're signing Gareth Bale, making him the highest paid player in the Premier League. Doesn't sit right with me, says Quentin. OK. Um, uh, yes, he is right that Spurs have applied to the Bank of England and indeed have been granted. Uh, it was it was more than just a few million quid, Quentin's, uh, Quentin's name. Surely that's, isn't, isn't that the name of a James Bond character? It, it does. I've got a feeling. Yes, um, Quentin has asked us questions before, and I think we have speculated. Um, I'm, I'm going to say yes. It does sound like a James Bond character, but a good one. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. yeah not, not everyone can be a villain in James Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, yeah, Spurs. Spurs. Uh, Spurs uh, got a, a 175 million pound loan from the Bank of England at 0.5 percent interest. Now, in theory, that is repayable in April 2021, but I suspect the government will roll that over or the Bank of England will roll that over for at least 12 months. Um, and the reason why I think companies have been applying from these loans, and you've got to be a business of a, of a minimum size and, and yeah. Spurs qualify on that. Um, is that if you go, if, if Spurs went to their regular bank and said, uh, oh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we've got no idea when we're going to start the, the turnstiles rolling again, will you lend us some money? Uh, yeah, we've had this conversation before. Bank managers turn around and say, mm, I'll have a think about it. About three milliseconds later, they'll say, no, it, it's too risky. Yeah, uh, or if you do I recognise that scenario, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you do borrow... Um, we are going to cover our risk by charging you a, a pretty hefty interest rate. And, and I've been looking at some of the deals that football clubs have been involved with, and, and we're talking about interest rates of you know, 11% uh, 
uh, which is which is pretty steep uh, in present time. So for, the, for be able to go and borrow half a percent from the the Bank of England, uh, it, it, it makes sense from a business point of view. And remember, Spurs went from a, an eighty nine million pound profit to a sixty eight million pound loss. Uh, and that was just with three months of the pandemic or four months of the pandemic in in their most recent accounts. So, th- so they are being hit. Um, in terms of Gareth Bale, I, I can understand Quentin's yeah, feelings. Um, at the same time, clubs want to progress. You know, we all want to see our clubs do well. So, from that point of view, it was actually quite a good deal. And all, I don't think. Uh, Gareth Bale is the highest paid player in the Premier League because my understanding is that Spurs are paying a, a fairly small fraction of his wages and the rest of it is actually being borne by his uh, host club, Real Madrid. Right, OK. It, it's it's quite difficult to tell with Spurs the way they structure their wage deals, isn't it? How much a player is actually earning. But um, if Quentin is approaching that story from a Spurs fan point of view, He's probably going to be disappointed again on Wednesday, Kieran, because we're going to be looking in some detail at what one or two of the Premier League clubs are char- planning to charge the 2,000 fans that come back in. Uh, and I think they're fair to say they're quite eye-watering sums. Um, and Tottenham is certainly one of them. So uh, you're crunching some numbers and that for us on uh, for Wednesday, aren't you, Kieran, for Thursday? That's right. right. Yep. Okay. Joshua Selig says, when the furlough scheme ends, do you think there will be a large number of clubs going into administration? If the answer is yes, would leagues, the EFL and the National League in particular, be required to consider relaxing their rules? And if that does happen, could there be legal action from other clubs? Um, I think this is a, this is an intriguing one. Uh, clubs in League One and Two, they are now uh, they've now been offered this fifty million pound package from the Premier League. Um, I think that's progressing. It's not progressing as fast as it should. Yeah. Um, as far as the National League is concerned, we have the uh, issue of the, uh, the the grant from the National Lottery Fund. Um, and if only, if only, Kevin, we could get a club owner to come onto the club uh, on, on, on Wednesday um, and perhaps give us their okay, point of view yeah. if they're unhappy. Yeah. And we'll see. We'll see if, if we rub our, we rub our uh, bottle well enough, whether a genie will come out of that particular one. Oh, don't, um, don't remind me, I'm not looking. Perhaps you should perhaps <laughs> perhaps you should elaborate on that comment, Kieran, basically, before because rather than leave our lovely listeners guessing, but <laughs> suffice to say, I'm really not looking forward to it already, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> no, well, no, no, I'm, I am looking forward to it. Uh, Oliver Ash, um, who is who is a club owner in the National League, has uh, I, I think it's fairly fair to say that he took us to task with uh, when we've been dealing with this issue recently. So uh, in the in the spirit of openness and transparency, we've invited him on the show. So uh, that, that I think it'll be an interesting discussion to get his viewpoints. We, we've seen the the National League board's comments, which were robust and, and quite defensive. Um, and, and we've also, of course, spoken to you know, people at Chester and uh, and other clubs as well who are unhappy. So yeah, we're trying to get a, the full range here. Can, Kieran, can I just point out before you answer Joshua's question, that he took you to task, but it's me that's going to be interviewing him. That's 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 my issue here with producer guy, <laughs> as I know you'll I know you'll be there in the in the in case there are some numbers questions. But basically, guy went, oh, he's had a really we've had this really quite angry email to Kieran. Can you sort him out? Oh yeah, great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it'll be a, a full and frank discussion of issues that I didn't know you'd said. Basically, 
<laughs> well, I, I don't remember saying them either, but we'll, 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 it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah, we'll, he'll um, do, but it's like one of those Morecambe and Wise sketches where Des O'Connor comes on with a postcard size number of complaints and then unfolds like a concertina into... <laughs> There's O'Connor, there's a reference, God rest his soul. Well, he was a lovely chap. Anyway, so Joshua's question, furlough. Um, it, 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 I, don't, I don't think the furlough is the issue because most clubs that are playing at present are out of furlough by definition. You know, the, the furlough course, scheme yes, is, is, a, is a job retention scheme. Yeah. Now, if clubs in the EFL are playing football, by definition, they are, they are at their place of work. Um, my concern is when the government's uh, VAT and, and other other tax delay uh, legislation that expires, and then clubs have to start paying their tax bills. We, we did see a, a, a question asked in the House of Commons by Damien Collins, who's again has been on the show. He's an MP, uh, and the, I think clubs in the EFL do owe considerable sums of money in, in unpaid taxes at present. So that's that's my major concern. Um, in, in terms of will there be action taken by one club against another, um, that that could be the case. I don't think they'd be successful um, because I can't see on what grounds they could claim to have been uh, disadvantaged. Uh, And and we did see when Steve Gibson at Middlesbrough uh, had his case against Derby County earlier in the week that that failed. So with a bit of luck, uh, hopefully people will see sense. Um, Will clubs go out of business? Again, going back to Joshua's original question, it's it's got to be a risk. Uh, a lot will depend as to what we're coming out into in terms of getting the timing and getting the cash flows right. If uh, if, if more if more towns and cities return to tier two and tier one, and of course this will have a a much greater proportionate impact yeah. on clubs in League One, League Two, and the National League, and they get the turnstiles clicking again, it could give them enough cash to see them over so that when the cash so that when the tax bills uh, come in that they are in a position to pay them Oliver Dowden has said that uh, he's not going to allow any clubs to go to the wall as a result of HMRC pressure so there is an acknowledgement from government that uh, clubs are in a precarious position and, and again this applies to huge swathes of uh, the economy at present um, so it's 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 a case of wait and see. Yeah, <clears throat> you've just upset one Derby fan in particular. I absolutely one hundred percent guaranteed him that Derby wouldn't be mentioned under any circumstances whatsoever. <laughs> um, Stefan Gampst uh, has asked a very interesting question. Stefan talks about the Norwegian broadcaster TV2 who owned the rights for the Premier League in the period 2019-2022, i.e. at the moment. TV2 has now increased the monthly fee for that service from 499 kroner to 699 kroner. That's a 40% increase, claiming rising costs for the rights. In comparison, it costs 399 Swedish kroner in, well, Sweden, obviously, to watch the <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite think that one through. Um, Stefan says, is this reasonable? And now the exchange rate is pretty much one-to-one, so it is a fair comparison. And I did look up the Norwegian word for antsy. Uh, Google Translate couldn't help, although Maggie Mauer does mean a lot of ants. 
So right. it's a fair point, though. I mean, why, why are you paying so much more in Norway than you are in Sweden to watch pretty much the same service? Yeah, I, I, a bit like you. I did a bit of trans uh, exchange rate translation. So it's gone from 41 quid to 59 right. uh, pounds a month. Yeah, that is that is steep. Uh, yeah, that'll, that's almost the price of a pint in Norway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that, that does seem to me to be excessive. When, when in Sweden, it's only £35 a month. So what I expect we will see here is, first of all, a rise in piracy. When when you price something inappropriately, then you run the risk of people looking for alternative means of, of get, gaining that goods or service. So I think it's a fairly dumb approach that's been taken by TV2. I, I can't understand why they agreed to pay the Premier League a 40% increase if they knew that the only way of dealing with that is to recover it from uh, their subscribers yeah. uh, because clearly that's going to upset their subscribers. I think the one thing that they are banking on is that, you know, have, having lived most of my life in, in Manchester, that Norwegian fans of both Manchester United and Liverpool are some of the most passionate most devoted and therefore it could be that tv2 thinks that they're a bunch of suckers and they'll just keep lapping up regardless of the prices that are being charged um so uh, you know my, my advice here is to, is to turn around to tv2 and say we are, we're not prepared to pay it and if enough fans do this and here you've got to be organized um you know and, and here that you know we've got social media we've got the opportunity to do petitions and things uh if, if i was the, you know, sweet uh, Norwegian fans of Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal and Chelsea and so on. Um, I tried to get together as a collective and just say, right, we're cancelling our subscriptions. We're not going to do anything uh, uh, until you drop the price back to the original one, which you know, forty one pounds a month is is still you know, pretty steep. Um, and uh, you know, it's if, if you're if if you're willing to pay the Premier League 40% more, then it's your problem. Don't don't pass your problems down to us as fans. I, I once flew from Oslo Airport to Liverpool on very late on a Friday night with some spectacularly drunk Norwegian Liverpool fans, uh, which is a story for another pod. But it, it was an astonishing, because it was like an invasion guard. There must have been 40-odd flights going out that night to various points of the of the British Isles to watch English and Scottish football, and there's a there's a supporters club for every single club in England, basically in in Norway and in Sweden. It's their their passion for English football is astonishing. I, I don't know as much about Scandinavia as I should, Kieran. So, if any of our Scandinavian listeners are able to add more information as to why it might be so much more expensive to watch football in Norway than in Sweden I'd be glad to hear from you uh we have another broadcasting rights question Kieran and it's from Chris the Norwich fan and Chris the Norwich fan has asked us questions before he's a friend of the show hello Chris Chris says thank you for your suggestion of going to Delia's for a slap up meal uh unfortunately I live in New Zealand so that's not really an option on the other hand Chris you live in a covid free paradise run by a government of talent and integrity so you know swings and roundabouts um and Kieran, if you could stop sending people to Delia's for slap-up meals, by the way, she does, she hasn't got a restaurant. <laughs> just, when you say, why don't you treat yourself to a slap-up meal at Delia's, they're looking up her address and turning up on a Sunday morning. Uh, uh, she's out. She's one of my favourite women, Delia's. So she's lovely. Um, here in New Zealand, says Chris, I subscribe to a streaming service called Spark Sport, which costs 25 New Zealand dollars a month, which is about 13 quid. 
For this, I can watch every single Premier League game plus other sports. Unfortunately, with Norwich being relegated, if I want to watch all their games, I need to pay $270, which is 140 quid, for iFollow, plus a Sky Sports subscription because Sky games aren't on iFollow. So if every game was on iFollow, though, that would cost £5.87 a game compared to 79 cents for Premier League games. So Chris's question is, would the EFL be better to follow the Premier League model and sell uh, games as a package instead of club by club. But it, is it, it does seem ludicrous, Kieran. It's far more expensive to watch EFL games than it is to watch Premier League games. It, it does seem ludicrous. I mean, I've, I've sort of tried to do a bit of digging into the numbers. The, the Premier League rights in New Zealand weren't sold for a huge amount of money because yeah, we've got to remember New Zealand is a rugby country. Of course, yeah. So, so there's, there's, a, there's a limited amount of interest uh, amongst New Zealand fans. The ones that are there, of course, very passionate, and there's no, no less passionate than, than local fans. I'm not, not saying that. That means that, let, let's say that the, if, if the Premier League TV deal is worth £10 million a year in terms of what the local broadcasters prepared to pay, realistically, how much could the EFL expect to get from selling their rights? And uh, we've we've seen a lot of uh, historically a lot of EFL club owners, um, and and I won't mention Derby County here. Oh, um, again, he's going to be so angry with me, that bloke. <laughs> uh, say that they feel that the EFL rights, which are worth one hundred nineteen million pounds a year domestically, were vastly undersold by the previous chief executive, uh, Sean Harvey. Um, I've I've got to be honest. I don't think that 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 assessment is necessarily correct, certainly today, because what was the biggest club in the EFL? Uh, In my view, it was Leeds United. And and that's why Leeds United used to be on so much, because they do have a a much broader fan base dotted around the country and internationally. So uh, the EFL has lost Leeds United. It's lost Aston Villa. It's lost Newcastle United. What would I think this is, this is sort of a, a, a general question? What would be the biggest match this season in the EFL between two clubs? And I, 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 I you know, pondering that, and I couldn't mm, genuinely think of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be Brentford versus QPR. Is it? Is it going to be da- perhaps Derby versus Forest? Stop that now. No more. No more Derby references. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, well, that was a positive reference. Yes, it is. No, yeah, that, that's actually that's, that's a good question. Actually, I suppose yeah, it's a very interesting question. So, I'm not convinced that the EFL would be able to get a, a decent price for the rights, and therefore, I I follow as an alternative. Um, I, I can see it from. Uh, from Chris's perspective, that it's frustrating. But the good thing about iFollow is at least the money is going, you know, when he subscribes, the money is going to Norwich. Yeah. Uh, no, and, and it's not being split between yeah, 72 clubs. So at, at a time when all clubs are looking for support from their from their own supporters, this this is a way of, of getting money to, to, to a club on a bespoke basis. Right. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. 
So therefore, Notion helps me from summarizing meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, Shay Cunningham's question is a positive haiku after the three-act play I managed to turn the New Zealand question into. Uh, Shay said that he heard on a recent show, uh, I think it was probably three months ago, but time is concertinaed during the pandemic. Uh, Shay heard on a recent show that auditors Ernst & Young alerted the police in Singapore to issues in their FA accounts. So in relation to the Football Association of Ireland, were auditors Deloitte obliged to bring discrepancies in their accounts to the attention of the police? Um, under, under law, if you are aware of a criminal act, especially if it involves the likes of money laundering or bribery, you are obliged to bring it to the attention of the authorities or terrorism. So there are specific things. If it is... Uh, if it is an internal crime, then it should be brought to the board of directors themselves, and then it's up to them as to how they are to proceed. Um, so it is very complicated, this. For those people that are unfamiliar with uh, what's been happening in Ireland, um, Ireland's chief executive, John Delaney, uh, appeared to be living a, 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 quite, a, a quite successful lifestyle. Um, he was he was paid a lot of money. Um, his ex girlfriend was given a sixty thousand pounds for uh, for being an agent for when I think Ireland played England. Um, I don't think his wife at the time was impressed by this payment. Um, and the ex girlfriend said uh, that money and that never actually ended up in her account. So she was, I think, that's what, perhaps that's why she's the ex girlfriend. Um, so that was all, all very complicated. Um, and the the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland, it received five million pounds from Sepp Blatter at FIFA, uh, but John Delaney didn't disclose that in the accounts. And in fact, nobody seemed to know what the purpose of that money was. In 2010, all, all very mysterious. There's a very good book called uh, Champagne Football yeah. about John Delaney. Uh, not as good as uh, Who Are You by Kevin Day. The people are looking for Christmas presents Thank you. For, their, for their loved ones who like football. But uh, it does go into quite a lot of depth in relation to uh, what's happened at the FAI. So Deloitte, uh, they, are, they are presently subject to a lawsuit 
from the from the FAI for lack of disclosures. They are claiming, however, that they were misled by the directors, uh, you know, and they they are the innocent party in this. Uh, you know, given that Deloitte are published the their annual football review, they are they are looking with huge amounts of egg on face at present. Uh, but I don't think they were necessarily obliged, especially as I, I don't think they actually found uh, some of the nature of these payments involving right. Delaney. He, he's certainly, uh, yeah, I think he, he, he could be uh, making an appearance in our special wrong and show, though, uh, for which we are still writing the script because it changes by the week. Right. To underline then the answer to Shay's question, Deloitte, the auditors, they will be 100% fully aware of the circumstances in which they have to bring something to the attention of the police, won't they, as, as part of their professional responsibilities. So, so they will know what things have to go to the police and what things have to go to the directors of the company that they're auditing. That, that's correct, yes. So you know, they, they are there on behalf of shareholders. Um, but in terms of legal responsibilities, th- that tends to be money laundering, terrorism, things yeah. of that nature, okay. rather than fraud. Uh, I mean, a lot of fraud does take place. Uh, there's a lot of strange activities taking place. We've got Manchester United at present, who whose IT systems have been uh, uh, subject to a cyber attack. And, and oh, if... if uh, if the stories in the newspapers are to be believed, and you know, we always have to take them with this pinch of salt, um, you know, Ma- Manchester United's transfer plans are included in the stuff which has been nicked by the cyber terrorists. Um, they they can't communicate, and, and it's uh, and they are subject to extortion. So, you know, it, it does get quite murky as, yeah. as to what the auditors should and shouldn't do. Okay, Terry Austin has a question regarding fan-owned clubs. Now, I asked you this exact question recently, Kieran, in regard to Wrexham, but you got distracted by, I can't remember what it was, probably a story about your dog and a pheasant, I imagine. <laughs> uh, you didn't properly answer it, as I remember mentioning that to you at the time after the pod. Uh, but Terry's got a question, um, which I think is a, is a very simple but very interesting one. If a fan-owned club is sold to someone for proper money, who is the money paid to? Do the fans split it between them? And who, and who this is a... Good secondary question. Who negotiates the sale uh, for a fan-owned club? Right. Um, the, the beneficiaries here depends upon the nature of the deal. If, uh, if, if the fans' trust sells its shares to the new owners, then in theory, the fans' trust would then uh, distribute that money amongst its members. Right. Um, however... If the club itself issues the shares to the new owners, then the football club would be the beneficiary, and the the investment from the, the the issue of those shares could be used by the football club to spend on infrastructure, to spend on talent acquisition, to a new manager, uh, and things of that nature. So it would would very much depend um, on on the deal itself. Uh, and I've forgotten the second part of the question, so could you just repeat that to me? Yeah, who, uh, this is part of the question that really interested me. Actually. Who who would negotiate this? So if you're a fan-owned club, do you nominate two or three savvy financial fans to negotiate the sale of the club to you, or do you pay somebody expert to negotiate the deal? So Wrexham, for example, being taken over by the Hollywood superstars, who would be negotiating on behalf of Wrexham with the Hollywood superstars? Well, if, if a club is run by a supporters' trust, the 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 members, the the fans, would vote for the the board of trustees. 
and it will be their responsibility to negotiate. Now, it could be that those members feel that they do not themselves have sufficient uh, expertise or experience of uh, a mergers and acquisitions deal. And therefore, they might appoint advisors right. to negotiate on their behalf. So a lot, a lot will depend upon personal circumstances. Uh, if it, the bigger the club, the more likely they are to try to get a third party to help them with negotiations, effectively an agent. Uh, for, if it's a small club, then I, th- I think you might say, well, you know, we've, we've got, you know, we've got such and such a guy who, who does work for an investment bank and we've got a couple of lawyers on board and, and we'll, we'll use people internally. So it would vary depending upon the size of the deal. Right. Back to ANSI. Um, Jamie, Jamie Wormsley has a general question about FFP and, and will it be scrapped or adjusted due to COVID losses, but specifically a question about his club. Preston, who paid players fully throughout lockdown, whereas, as Preston manager Alex Neal has been saying quite publicly and quite loudly, Forrest and Derby... Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Forrest and Derby signed big money players and deferred their wages during this pandemic. Would FFP allow that? Um. It will make relatively little impact for FFP right. because what what we have seen is the EFL has relaxed the rules. Now, relaxed is not the same as abolished. Right. Okay. So, so um, it looks as if the the losses are going to be spread over two seasons, and you will be given some form of an allowance for the lack of match day income. And it could also be for the adjustments to solidarity payments from the Premier League. It could be that uh, adjustments for your your sponsor deals and so on. So um, th- this this does make sense because th- this is to stop a club in the Championship who perhaps does have a very rich owner saying, well, if they're going to abolish the FFP rules for this season, I'm going to spend £100 million on you know, five very good players and use them as, as a vehicle to get promoted. So uh, th- there is uh, FFP still being used. Those clubs which have taken advantage of the furlough, I think they will be beneficiaries of this from uh, an ultimate uh, assessment from an FFP perspective. But... Uh, this this ultimately will be a decision which will be made by the owners of clubs in the EFL because uh, you you have to have a majority uh, to to make uh, make decisions now the decision which has been made in respect of, of the championship I don't think they've they've finalised the issues yet because to be fair to the people the EFL they they are you know running around just trying to put out as many fires as quickly as they can and uh, you know as soon as one goes out another one appears. Yeah, would this be a club in the Championship with a wealthy owner such as Bournemouth, for example, Kieran, who you were only too happy to share a photograph with me of their CEO giving uh, a £150,000 Rolls Royce to his young Russian girlfriend as an early Christmas present? Because it, t- it ticked a lot of your boxes, that story, Kieran, didn't it? <laughs> well, to be fair, the, the young lady involved was was his wife um, rather than girlfriend. But I, I, I don't I – mean, I, I, th- I think here is a case of you know, if, if you're going to do it, don't flaunt it. So when when this came out on Instagram, and uh, I, I, I did, I, I, you know, I, I followed up on social media, and it does seem to have gone a, a wee bit viral. 
Um, if the clubs in the EFL Championship are in need of financial assistance, and you know there is a case for saying that some do, there is a case for saying that perhaps some don't. If the chief executive of of a club spends one hundred and forty thousand pounds on on a on a brand new Bentley with the personalised number plates for his wife. Um, as as taxpayers, I think we're going to turn around and say, well, we don't think you're in need of any form of government handouts yeah. because if you can afford to do that, um, then you you can probably afford to look after your own club. And, and th- this is sort of the argument I think we've tried to put forward on, on the show, that when it comes to the championship, we should be looking at clubs on a on perhaps on a case by case basis because yeah we've had Gary Sweet from Luton on the show and, and he was absolutely superb and, and we've had other people uh, yeah with Billy from Millwall yeah th- those clubs are not the wealthy clubs in yeah. that division mm-hmm. Bournemouth are um, and and I'm sure you know ultimately it's it's up to people to choose how how they spend money uh, all I can say is that. Uh, going back to my personal circumstances and uh, my my uh, my girlfriend in in Moscow, she was very keen on English chocolate, and I remember, I remember what happened when I brought her across a multi pack of twirls and how she thanked me. So for a Bentley, uh, I, I imagine the the uh, the owner or the chief executive of Bournemouth is is. Uh, is going to get his money back. Yeah, it's entirely my fault for throwing that in at short notice. That. That question. Um, we have, we what was I thinking? We have three question twelves. Good lord, how did you get those through? Cut. Never mind. Um, we have three questions left, and I think the first one, Kieran, you, for reasons that will become self evident, you can answer more fully in a week or two's time because it comes from David Hazil. Uh, and David says, you often talk about clubs like Accrington and Tranmere as examples of well-run, family-oriented clubs, and rightly so, says David. My team, Plymouth Argyle, has an owner who's put in an enormous amount of his own cash to help redevelop the stadium, fund ongoing losses, and see us through the pandemic, all funded via loans converted into shares. Where do you see Argyle in terms of best-run clubs, particularly in terms of financial transparency? Well, David... You'll be pleased to know that owner, of course, is Simon Hallett. And we are due to interview him in a few days' time about his love for his hometown club. So listen out for that. And we'll explore these issues in more detail then. But just just quickly, uh, Kieran, uh, for now, where do Argyle rate? And, and I'm particularly interested that David asks about the financial transparency. Um, well, I, I think uh, Plymouth are, are excellent. Uh, yeah, we, We've said that they are in very much a sort of the, an, an, an untapped giant you know a club which has perhaps never achieved what it what it could potentially achieve given that it has sort of a, a dominance geographically where it's based um yeah we, we've had some uh, correspondence with simon recently and he is coming on to the show probably in a couple of weeks time so um he's he's been very open with us and and we're very much looking forward to the for, to the chat uh yeah i think i think plymouth are, are up there with the goodens it's it's actually you know this is not a spoiler alert it will come up in the interview it's actually rather a touching story because he's a he's a local lad who made good made very good and wanted to thank the city the quote is he, he i wanted to thank the city that educated me and, and helped me which i think is 
is rather lovely, and funding a football team is a very good way of doing that. Um, ben Wicker is a Norwich fan. I don't know if he's in New Zealand or Norwich, but Ben Wicker is a Norwich fan with a particular interest in the Max Aaron's link to Barcelona. It seems, Kieran, that Barcelona are not willing to include an obligation to buy clause as part of a loan deal. And Ben wants to know, why do clubs agree loan deals with an obligation to buy rather than just arranging a permanent transfer? Can you enlighten us? with your wisdom. Um, I'm not sure if Ben's being sarcastic now. I'm an expert in sarcasm. It's very hard to pick up on his toe. But I'm going to, I'm gonna, in the spirit of goodwill, in the middle of an antsy podcast, I'm going to say he's not. So can you enlighten him with your wisdom? Um, this all comes down to uh, the impact that an option to buy has on the accounts. If it's If it's a commitment to buy, what you would effectively do is say, if we if we have to buy the player at the end of the year, um, then we'd have to work out an amortisation charge over potentially both the loan period and, and the period of the contract. Now that could either accelerate or decelerate uh, the costs, and therefore that would have FFP implications. When it comes to to Max Aaron's and and Norwich, um, you, you can understand why the club are looking for a greater commitment uh, from Barcelona than Barcelona are perhaps prepared to give because he's, he's a very good player. What's Norwich's aim this season? It's to get promoted. And if they get promoted, then they go into the Premier League and they get their, their share of that £100 million. Pounds, well, they, they get that £100 million pounds from TV money. So, um, if, if Barcelona, Barcelona are only willing to pay a, a small loan fee, let's say a couple of million, then, and, and not commit to paying, say, a 30 million pound transfer fee at the end of the season, then if I was Norwich, I'd turn it down because the, the benefits of getting promoted are exceed the benefits of what they are guaranteed is £2 million. If Max Ahrens goes to Barcelona and proves to be a superb player, then Barcelona are picking up a, a, a bargain at £30 million. So, so that's the logic behind it. it it's all linked to uh, how this would impact upon the accounts of, of both clubs. Well, OK. Well, interestingly, our final question is about future transfer sell-on fees. It comes from George Self. And, George, you've asked a question, which, again, is one of those things that I keep thinking I need to know the answer to and assume that I do know the answer to, but I'm about to see if I'm right. Um, George, in particular, wants to talk about his club, Ipswich Town, who have made a fair amount of money from transfer sell-on fees recently. For example, when Adam Webster signed, for reasons known only to himself, for Brighton from Bristol City, if Webster was then sold on by Brighton, would Ipswich get a cut of Bristol City's sell-on fee? So, in other words, do UK? So, if you know, if Palace sell a player, do the club that we got it from get sell-on fees? You know, do all transfers have sell-on fees? Is, is it like Terry Pratchett's turtles? It turtles all the way down, Kieran. Uh, no, it's not. And, and the reason for this is that ultimately the sale of a player's registration is a contract between two parties. So. When it came to the, the case of Adam Webster, this was a contract between Ipswich and Bristol City. Now, when you sign a contract, you cannot oblige a third party to do something else. So um, if uh, it, it, it could be that uh, Bristol City have got a sell-on clause with Brighton in, in the case of Adam Webster, um, in which case Bristol City would give some money, but that would there's no obligation for Brighton to give any money to Ipswich. Now it could be that as part of 
the contract between Ipswich and Bristol City that if uh, that if uh, Ipswich are entitled to twenty percent of the deal, the deal could be um, not just the fee paid by Bristol City, uh, not just the fee that they get from the initial sale. Uh, to Brighton Nove Albion, but also any further monies that they get from the sale um, if uh, if they have a sell-on clause themselves. So what we would have to do here is to go into the small print of the contract but, and see the, the individual obligations, but there would be no obligation on Brighton to give money here to Ipswich directly. It could be that the money goes indirectly because the definition of the, the sell-on fee includes... Uh, the, the sale by the player from Brighton to whatever club it is. So, for example, then when Palace sold Wambasaka to Man United, could we have insisted on a clause that says we want sell on money when United sell him to City, and when City sell him to Barcelona, and when Barcelona sell him to Bayern Munich? Could could we have said you know incre- decreasing amounts all the time? But would yeah, Man United probably would have to turn around and say, well, we can't guarantee that because it would be part of the deal between us and City. That, that's correct. Right. That's correct. Okay. So you, 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 you cannot force under contract law a third party that is not signing the contract to any obligations. I understand. Good. I hope that answers your question, George, and it turns out I was wrong. Now, Kieran, uh, to finish, it's quite clear from the tone of some of the questions that we've discussed today that we're all in need of a bit of pre-Christmas cheer. I don't know what you're turning the page on. You've been reading a book while we've been talking, Kieran. <laughs> is, is that how you're multitasking these days? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are. We're, we're all in need of some pre-Christmas cheer. Care. I think the whole country is in need of a bit of a cheer up. So, how about a potentially technically disastrous football finance quiz, <laughs> where you can welcome our actual faces into your actual homes for some live festive fun, possibly with a guest appearance by Ali, although I haven't asked her yet. Uh, so yes, I think you've got some some news on this, haven't you, Kieran? Well, yes, Kevin. I mean, as, as we're in various forms of lockdown in tiers two and three, but for our listeners in the Isle of Wight, <laughs> we're, we're jealous of you, or, or, or our listener in the Isle of Wight, I suspect. Um, uh, th- there's a limit to the number of uh, episodes of comedy reruns we can watch on Dave in the evening, so we, we thought we're gonna we're going to attempt the first. And given our technological. Uh, Problems, uh, historically, could be our last price of football quiz. So the intention is it it to take place on Monday the 7th of December. There's a slight caveat here. Brighton are playing Southampton on the evening of the 7th of September. And if I manage to get a ticket... As if I'm one of the lucky 2,000, then I'm going to the match. But we, we will run it either that night or the following night, in all probability. And we're going to do this via Zoom. So we'll, we'll put up a link to Zoom. And we're going to be using the, the Kahoot quiz platform. If, if you've done Kahoot quizzes before, yeah, they are quite good fun. Um, they they do they do all the scoring for you, and, and you get points based on a getting answers correct, but b the, the the speed at which you put through your answers. So I, we'd certainly recommend that you get the Code app because you're going to need two screens. So get that for your smartphones. Um, we we can have I think we got twenty or twenty two questions, uh, mainly from the world of uh, my my spreadsheets. So, although uh, I, I, I believe you're writing a couple of questions on the on the history of the Porson's Arms too, Kevin, uh, for which which might be beneficial to to people in people in Norbury. Um, 
there, there's going to be prizes for the winners, including uh, Who Are You, Kevin's book, yeah. uh, on why you shouldn't support 92 clubs. Yeah. Uh, we'll give the price of football book uh, for anybody that you know that's got an OCD personality uh, and a love of spreadsheets. And you don't like that much. And I do still have uh, a few of the, the the top trump card sets available. So we'll, we'll put those together. The first prize, I think, will be all three as a package together. Uh, foot, foot, uh, football finance top trumps is uh, you know it's, it's Christmas Day. You've you've got your racist auntie around. You you don't know what to say to her anymore. Uh, so yeah, this, this is a way of sort of uh, filling in those hours before she goes home, and you can ignore her for the next twelve months. Yeah, um, that's one upside of the bubble system is that the racist auntie is is way down the bubble list. And also, this will be this will be a proper quiz. We'll make it as entertaining as possible and it will be live uh, and some of the questions will be based on things that we've talked about so they may not necessarily be football finance a, a working knowledge of russian might help you with some of the answers to the questions but um hopefully it'll be a fun way to pass an hour and hour and 15 minutes of all bungs and there'll be a couple of music questions in there for those of you not familiar with kahoot it is a, a very very good way of of doing an interactive quiz and if you've got you know, your partner with you or your children with you who are also interested. It's a great way of getting them to join in as, as well. And you'll be able to gaze in awe on our actual real faces and see, well, you've all seen Kieran. I think we've seen a lot of Kieran's bookcase in, in this pandemic with his book yes. proudly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have to tidy up the front room and put my BAFTA nomination certificate in a very visible place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's taking place on the 7th or the 8th of December. We'll, we'll try and get details of that to you as quickly as possible. Uh, we're about to go over Guy's Golden Hour. So I'll just say to you, as I always say, uh, if you have any questions for us on any aspect of football finance or indeed on how the quiz is going to work, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. We will see you on Monday. I wish we could see you, but we'll see. Oh, and actually, we will see you soon for the quiz. Um, and I'll leave you, Kieran, to say your quick. Can we, we'll, we'll, let's go for the quick let, message let, this let, week let's, rather let's than the. Just uh, stay safe, boys and girls, and look after yourselves. Thank you. Yes. Uh, happy unlockdown, everybody. Bye-bye. The Price of Football. The Price of Football.